From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. We are in a series and we're looking at virtues, we're discussing virtues for the follower of Jesus because the follower of Jesus is to not be like the culture in the world or to be imitators of God. The Bible says to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be imitators of God. And so even more so when we gather and we meet in his presence, are we to submit to his presence and submit to his word, to be shaped in a way that when we walk out these doors and when we leave, we actually are reflections of Christ and we're more like Christ in a culture, in a world that isn't. And so even looking at virtues, how do we actually take on these virtues? Well, it's one thing for me to talk, and I will, and present to you and us to try and to put on honor and to put on integrity and to persevere and try to be a little bit more, you know, thankful. But when we're actually impacted by the presence of God speaking to us and we open ourselves up to that, that's, that's transforming. There's, there's, there's spiritual formation that happens in the spiritual habits, the practices, fasting, prayer, silence, solitude, um, Sabbath, those kinds of things. There's formation that takes place when we just open ourselves up to the Spirit. And truly, if we're going to be virtuous people in a culture that isn't, then we need to be open. Because let me tell you this. If you just submit yourself and open yourself up to the Spirit and to His presence, to Christ, you will become more virtuous, not even practicing or trying to be virtuous. Because you will just naturally be shaped through the Spirit like Christ. So in a culture where we have leaders and politicians and people and influencers and celebrities and neighbors and coworkers attempting to appear virtuous, let's be people who work on being virtuous because we're called to be like Christ. And what we're discussing today actually really hits that that dichotomy on the head. We're talking about integrity today. Last week, we discussed honor in a cancel culture, showing honor because people have intrinsic value. You don't just write them off because of something they've done. But we honor them and we, we, we strive to reconcile relationship and, and to be honorable people. Today, we're saying integrity matters in a culture that shows counterfeit integrity. Psalms chapter 15, verses 1 through 5 says this, Lord... Who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Let me say this. If you get nothing from today, integrity matters to God. Integrity matters to God. Let's bow our heads one more time. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're already at work speaking and ministering amongst us. God, we open ourselves up to your word now and to your spirit 
Holy Spirit, would you, as I pray almost every week in our gathering, would you speak to us and touch us? Each of us here are on a journey, on a path, God, but you have something you want to say to us, God, through this message. And so we open ourselves and our ears to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an ancient Chinese story of an emperor who had no heir. And so he decided to take an heir, a child, from his empire to be his, to be his heir. And so what he did is he called all the children in his empire to come, and they all gathered, and he gave them each a seed. And they were to take this seed and go home and plant it in a pot and water it and tend to it for one year. And then after one year, come back and present it before the emperor. And he would choose a child who, who attended to it as he desired And so every child got a seed, and they all went home, and they planted that seed and began to attend to it. Now, there was a little boy named Ling, and Ling took his seed, and he planted it in his pot, and he watered it, and he attended to it, and nothing grew. And he watered it every day, and he attended to it every day, and nothing grew, and he put it in the right spot to get the right light and the right warmth, and just nothing took root, nothing germinated. And he fell down, knowing his fate. One year later, the emperor summons all the children back. By this point, all the children, at least in Ling's village, they had bushes and and trees and fruit growing from their little seed. Ling had nothing. All the children in the empire come before the emperor, and he begins to look at all the magnificent plants. Amazed. Wow, who would be the next heir? So he's going down and he's appreciating all these amazing, magnificent plants. And he comes to little Ling and he says, child, what happened here? I I, I did everything. I planted the seed and I, I watered it and I attended to it every day, but it just did not grow. And he held his head down because he knew that he would not be chosen. The emperor continued on marveling and taking a look at all the other plants By the time he came to the end, he stood before everyone. And he said, I see before me thousands of magnificent plants, but I want to make an example of one child. Ling, come up here. Called Ling up next to him. Ling comes up, embarrassed, terrified, with his empty barren pot. And the emperor says, one year ago, I gave you each a seed. What you did not know is each seed was boiled, so it could not grow. So how is it I see before me thousands of magnificent plants? I should see thousands of barren pots. Yet one boy had the courage and integrity to attend to the seed that I gave him. And those are values worthy of my empire. And so he chooses Ling to be his heir. This is integrity. In a, in a society that is more shocked by integrity than they are the lack of it, God calls us to be people of integrity. Isn't it amazing that when you hear stories of, of people finding money and returning it, people are amazed by returning, someone returning large sums of money. We're shocked by integrity in our culture. It makes sense, however, because we are bombarded with, with 
articles and news of another leader, of another person, a celebrity, a politician, falling morally. Integrity stands out in our world. I think everybody would agree that integrity is something most people would want to strive for or shoot for. Most people would agree with that. Most people do not reject integrity. But ironically, non-integrity is everywhere. What is said doesn't always mean or translate to what is done. Individual dishonesty, unsoundness is common. It's in organizations, corporations, and businesses. Integrity is even written into their mission statement. Right? We, we value integrity above all. Yet, shady business dealings happen all the time. Actions and behaviors that are corrupt. Counterfeit integrity, however, is something we see a lot of. Many people today are virtue signaling. That's been something that's even thrown out, that word, lately in culture. People are trying to publicly demonstrate that they have good character. They're a good moral person, yet behind doors, when the cameras are off, there's something else to be seen. So instead of actually working on being a person of virtue, we have people who are just trying to convince others that they are actually virtuous people. It's not authentic. Our world lacks integrity, but integrity matters to God. Why is it that a story about a boy in an empire like that stand out? Because we don't have integrity in our culture. As the psalmist asked in Psalms 15, who may live on the holy mountain of God? The Lord describes a person who is full of integrity. So what is integrity and how do we know we have it? First of all, integrity is not perfection. A person of integrity is not someone who never makes a mistake. It's not someone who never does any wrong. You cannot say to somebody who makes a mistake, you have no integrity. Because if, if that were the case, then only Jesus would be the person of integrity. Only Jesus would have integrity. Integrity actually comes from the Latin word meaning integer. It means a number that is not a fraction. It means intact. It means whole. It means complete. Think of it this way. Many people today, maybe even you, live, live divided lives, right? You have your professional life. This is what you do at work. You have your family life. This is how we act in our, with our family. We have our private life. This is what I do when nobody's looking. We have our social life. We have this fractured, divided, compartmentalized life. And my, my professional life doesn't you know, intermingle with my spiritual life because heaven forbid I offend somebody with my spiritual beliefs. And my family, well, they don't know what I do in private because I can't let them know what, what I, they can't find that stuff out. And I'm not going to bring my spiritual life into my social life because then maybe I wouldn't be accepted into the group. And so we live this fractured, divided life. This is not a whole life. This is not an integrated life. This is fractured. If integrity is analogous to a whole number, then someone who lives like this does not have integrity. But as people of Jesus, we're called to submit to his lordship in every aspect of our lives, in every corner. 
He directs our actions in our professional life. He leads our life with our family. He guides us in our social life. He is present in my private life. He is Lord over all the areas, even the one that you choose to hide from him and you've locked that door and you've secured it and you say, that's mine. He says, no, I'm not truly Lord until I'm Lord over it all. So integrity then is when who I am in one place is who I am in another is who I am in another because there's no division in my life based off of where I am or what I'm doing. How many of you could sympathize with me and say we could probably do with a little bit more integrity in our life? I'm the first to raise my hand. Integrity, therefore, is when your behavior matches your belief. That's the best definition I've come across is when your behavior matches your belief. It's when what I show on the outside matches what I believe on the inside and vice versa. Who I am at church is who I am at home, is who I am at work, is who I am at the bar, is who I am at the club, is who I am at the, the corner, is who I am at wherever I may find myself. I am who I am. My private life is consistent with my public life. It's different than reputation. Reputation is what people see on you, what people think you are. Integrity is who you are. Who you are. So if you're a person that's living that fractured, compartmentalized life, you're hiding who you are in one arena, maybe you're virtue signaling, trying to appear virtuous, you know how hard it is to keep up appearances the insecurity of ever being found out? What if your family discovers how you act in your workplace? What if your workplace finds out about your spiritual life? How will the guys treat you? What if the church, the church friends figure out your social life? FYI, they probably already see it on Facebook. Just face it. They've already seen it. Your reputation is on the line. There's an insecurity there, right? I feel not secure because what if they find out? What if Pastor Call knows? Please. I know we're all human. That's why I wear shirts like this and not a suit and tie. So I don't, you don't feel, well, because I don't like suits and ties, but so you don't feel like I'm this, what if they find out? There's an insecurity there. And, and the pressure to keep that life going is hard. It's difficult. So our Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. There's no fear of being found out. There's no fear of being found out of being labeled a fraud. There's no pressure to keep up appearances. What you see is what you get. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Just so you know, your divided, hidden life will come to the surface at some point. It's going to crack. You're going to forget, and you're going to put on the wrong hat in the wrong arena. And people will see 
that you don't have integrity. And there's insecurity when you live that kind of life. Unless you're narcissistic, it's not a good life. It's not the life that God calls us to. But here's the gospel truth. When when the scriptures declare that Jesus reconciles all things, that means he reconciles us. So when God is at work in us and putting together like, like the brokenness in me, that means he's putting together the brokenness in my life, the fracturedness in my life. And when he's making me new through the, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, he's making me whole. He's making me a person of integrity. So naturally walking with Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill me and work in me puts me together, puts the compartmentalization, the dividedness of my life together so that all of a sudden who I am here at the altar or who I am you know, at home in prayer becomes who I am in the workplace and who I am in the social life and who I am when nobody's looking around because the gospel says he's fixing you. And that's why part of this is not just me trying to modify my behavior and do better actions because you can do that for a while, but eventually you will stumble and you will fall and you'll no longer be able to do that. But a huge part of this is the spirit just working in you as you work on your salvation, as you press into Christ, he just naturally goes, oh, that part's over there. Let's connect that Lego piece. Let's put it together and let's make you whole. There's no more pressure to keep up appearances. Integrity, therefore, for an apprentice of Jesus is not a virtue that we get to dismiss. Like we can't just say, yeah, I'm not really, yeah, kind, sure. Forgiving, yeah, that's not me. That's like those guys, those guys. No, no. Because naturally, as a person of Christ, as you walk towards Christ, you will become more, in, more of a person of integrity. There'll be no duplicity, no fracturedness. It's a virtue we are constantly working on as Jesus is making us whole. So the opposite of integrity is pretty clear then, right? Jesus had a word for it in the, in the gospel. He called it hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is one of the greatest criticisms of Christians we're all a bunch of hypocrites. I'm not going to go there. There's a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because maybe they see the fractured, divided life. Listen, you don't, it's not about perfection. It's just about who I am here is who I am there. So let them see your brokenness. But when you come here, let us see your brokenness. Right? Be honest there and be honest here. Stop hiding. Stop hiding, because guess what? Most people are pretty good at knowing when someone's behind a mask. I, you know, I just, I'll bring you into my world. Like, let me open the door. Step into what it means to be a pastor. People look at you differently. The moment you say pastor, you're treated different. It's unfortunate, but it's just part of the gig. <laughs> but pastors aren't oblivious to people. It's not like when we become a pastor, all of a sudden this this shroud is put on us and a veil is put on us and we don't know what it's like to be a person. So when people come and they put this mask on for for me, a lot of times, I'm going to be honest, maybe it's you, I'll just go smile and nod. 
I just smile and nod. Because I know the struggle for me. I know what it's like as a person in this position, in my flesh, to strive to keep up appearances. And I thank God for this position because it holds me, it holds me accountable so that when I'm outside of these walls and I'm not on the camera, I'm not before the, the people, and I'm by myself, maybe with my spouse and my family, I strive to be that same person because I don't want to put on the mask. I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not. I get the struggle. Stop pretending. Stop pretending when you're here. Take off that jacket. Let's burn it. Right? Let's let's just be honest because we're all going to grow better together if we're honest. We're all going to grow and move forward together when when we're just saying, hey, man, this is where I'm at. This is it. Fantastic. Finally, you're honest with yourself because you already knew it. I'm on Facebook too. I'm a person too, so I see it. Now we can take a path forward. The word um, hypocrite comes from the Greek word meaning actor. So think of those, those plays, those Greek plays where they would wear a mask. What you, what you see in the play, in the presentation, is not who is behind the mask. That's a hypocrites. It's a word meaning actor. I'm showing you an exterior that is inconsistent with who I really am because the mask is just an act. And some of Jesus' harshest words for those who were, were reserved for those who lived this divided, fractured, hidden life. He spoke harder to hypocrites than he did to prostitutes and what religious considered sinners. He had harder words for that than he did for those who were just blatantly show you their sin. This is what he said, Matthew 23, 25 and 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, he called them. That's, do we ever, do you, do you ever, like, I don't know what your image is of, of Jesus, but when I hear these words, I'm like, I always picture Jesus as this man full of grace and kind and compassionate, stooping down, picking up the, the woman caught in adultery, like so full of love, caring, going after the brokenhearted, and here he is calling somebody hypocrite. Elsewhere, he uses words like brood of viper, right? One, once upon a time, he made a whip and he chased people out of the temple. Like those are hard pictures we have of Jesus. We have a hard time reconciling that picture of Jesus. But here he is. He says, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish And look at this, and then the outside will also be clean. He doesn't say, and then clean the outside. Because what is inside will eventually come out. You can only hide behind it so long. A few things will happen. Either you'll be honest with yourself and everybody else, and we'll all have a good time. Or you'll break under the pressure and you'll disappear into one of those fractured life. And you'll choose one. If this is your professional life, and this is your family life, and this is your private life, and this is your spiritual life, and you're trying to keep, keep the juggling act going, eventually you'll break under the pressure. The mask will tear apart, and you'll, you'll fall into one of those spots. Likely not the spiritual life. First clean the inside, he says. What is he saying? He's saying it's what is inside that counts. 
what matters, not on the outside. And we want to be people of integrity. We want our belief to match our behavior. We want to live whole lives, right? Complete lives. There's peace in that. There's a peace in that. Integrated around the person, character, life, power, and glory of Jesus. He's the glue. There's this image that I saw a long time in a book that was describing the difference between the religious follower of Christ person 10, 20 years ago and the person today. And it was an image of a tire, like a bicycle wheel. And, you know, let's say 15, 20, 25 years ago, God was the center of the, of the bicycle wheel. And each spoke represented an aspect of your life. The Lord was the one that held all the spokes together, family, work, social, private, and God was a part of each. But it's shifted in our culture and our world. So the center is no longer God. The center says me. And God is just a spoke. And that's the, that's the hard thing about living that disintegrated life. When God isn't the center, all the pieces don't work. Because you're designed that way. You are designed for him to be the center of it all. That is how you are made. And you will break under the pressure of sin and flesh and life unless he's the center. Most of life's struggles and hardships, regardless of what the circumstance, come down to that. Is Jesus truly the center? Because you approach every difficulty different. That's why James can say, consider it a pure joy when you face trials and tribulations of all kind. He can say, consider it pure. I don't consider trials a pure joy. But when Jesus is the center, I can look at it differently. Because I'm not living this compartmentalized life. Story goes of a well-known general contractor, a home builder, who would build the finest homes for this company. And he had been part of this company for 40 years. Finest homes, good quality homes. 35 years in, he goes to the owner of the company. He says, do you know what? I'm going to retire in five years. I just want to warn you and prepare you. Owner says, okay, thank you for the warning. You're my finest home builder. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. 36 years in, hey, just so you know, four years, I'm going to retire. And he kept doing this to, to remind the owner. And the, t- the clock is ticking. My end's coming. I'm tired. I'm done. I'm ready to just be done work. A couple months left into his work, goes to the owner. He says, I'm just letting you know I'm done in a couple months. The owner goes to him, can I just ask you one more thing? You're our finest builder. Will you build one more home? Will you build one more home for me? What? The guy was offended. He was hurt. I've been warning you for years. I've been warning you for years. Please, just, just one more home. One more home for me. Fine. I'll do it. He was upset. He was hurt. And so he did build the home, but he cut corners. He wanted to do it fast and quick and easy. Right? Cheapest, cheapest products, cheapest contractors. But he got the home built. On the exterior, it looked like any of the other homes he built. But he knew deep down on the inside, it wasn't his best work. Owner comes to him after the The project is finished. The home is built. He says, thank you so much. I appreciate that you did this one last project for me. And as a way of appreciation for 40 years of fine service, here's the keys. And that builder realized what so many of us will realize one day. We are building our home. 
We are building our home. Every decision we make, how we live, what we say, what we do, you're building your house. Whether you choose generosity or selfishness, whether you choose what is right or cut corners, whether you extend grace or judge harshly, whether you tell the truth or tell the story in a way that it only benefits you, you're building your home. If you have kids, you're building a legacy. One of the surest ways to raise rebellious kids is to claim one thing and live another, is to not be a person of integrity. Integrity matters. So what is it worth to you? What is it worth to us? What is it worth to the people of God? What dollar sign would you, would you put on your integrity? Think of it this way. A job opportunity comes along. Oh, it pays good. Maybe for you it's 50000 Maybe for you it's 80000 Maybe for you it's 150000 But you put whatever is necessary on that resume to make sure you get that job. That's what your integrity is worth. What will you sell out for? What will you say integrity isn't that big of a deal for? Is it something big? Is it something significant? Maybe it's nothing at all. You'll exaggerate the story to be liked. Yes. Ding. Correct. You'll tap into your neighbor's Wi-Fi without them knowing because they don't put a lot of security on it just so you can watch Netflix, save a couple extra. Well, let's be real. Internet is really expensive these days. I'll let that one slide. No, I won't. <laughs> you cheat on the exam to get a better grade. You lie to get ahead. Here's what I've noticed in just my short time of doing this and, and being a person in life is that the downward spiral towards that duplicity, fractured, broken, non-integrity life always, always starts small. Almost always starts small. It's a small thing, and eventually it grows into something significantly larger. It starts with the story, just exaggerating, and the Wi-Fi and sneaking the Netflix. Nobody wakes up one day and decides that they're going to falsify documents and embezzle money, right? It just doesn't happen. It grows. I used to be a personal support work worker in Bible college and before I entered into full-time ministry. You know, and I worked for these homes with um, individuals who, who were low-functioning in their disability, high support care, very low-functioning, full care um, needed for these individuals. A couple of months into me uh, working in this, in this, they called them programs, in this home, one of the team leaders was escorted out in handcuffs. Turns out that she was stealing money from the individuals. Blew me away because when you met this person, they did not at all look like a person that would do this. At all. Worlds apart. There was, it was, maybe I couldn't read people very well, but it was just shocking. What I heard was when they asked her, how did you do, why did you do this? How did it get here? She broke down. She says, well, it started really small. I, you know, we go out shopping to buy them their clothing or their needs, and because of their, their low-functioning mind and disability, they, they were not aware. So you go out shopping for their needs and whatever, the, you know, clothing or whatever, and maybe needed to pick something up for herself. She says, I need to pick something up, but I didn't have money, and so I just I paid for it with theirs because we were all, all piling together anyway, and then I just reimbursed. No big deal. 
And then I'd do it, do it again and again. And eventually it became easier and easier to do. And it just became something I did. And then eventually I stopped reimbursing because nobody really noticed I was in charge of the books. And eventually, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars later over a couple of years, this person had stolen, broken down, because what was hidden had come to the surface. What is worth fracturing and dividing our life? If we don't have integrity with the small, we likely won't have integrity with the large. So how's your integrity? Take a deep breath, everybody. Let the breath fill your lungs. Breathe out. The work of God and a believer through the Spirit is to make you whole. It's to make you a person full of integrity. I think we all need this. Let me bring you back to Psalms 15. Here's a standard Psalmist asked the Lord, who may dwell in the presence of our God? It says, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath, even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe. Let me ask you again, how's your integrity? I don't know about you, but that's like hard. That's a hard standard. The reality is, Jesus is the one who could keep that. And thank God for Christ. Because you know what Jesus did on the cross? Not only did he take your sins away, but the Bible says that he gave, he imputed, he assigned to us his righteousness. So the life of Jesus that was full of integrity is assigned to you. So that when you stand before God and you say, well, I'm not worthy to sit in the holy mountain because I don't, I don't, I can't keep this. He's like, well, thank God my son did for you. And when you stand before God on the day of judgment, and you're like, well, it's compartmentalized. Yeah. He sees his son. That's what's been assigned to you in the justification of God. But if for a follower of Jesus, someone who, who follows after him and is striving to be like him and is working our salvation, we need to seriously examine ourselves and say, okay, God, thank you for Christ who has, who has shifted my position before you. But make me a person that is whole. So help me to see me. Search me. Here's what it says in Psalms 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. God, where am I fractured? Where, where am I compartmentalized? Where am I broken? Where, where is there division? And be honest with you. Be honest with you. And hear from God. Listen to what he's saying. Maybe even now he's already put something on your mind. The Spirit of God has already touched your heart. He's already pointed to you. And you're feeling the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It says, call, this is the area. 
This is the area. And listen to that voice. Because that is the voice of God who just makes you aware so he can take that part if you submit to him and make you whole. Next step is just to really examine yourself. Where are you most defensive? Because usually where we are most defensive, that reveals where we're most insecure. What, what part of your life do you not want others to know about? What part do you not want me to find out about? I don't want pastor to find out about this. What are you hiding behind closed doors? What do you criticize the hardest? Because that's often a reflection of where you are the weakest. Where do you exaggerate? Where do you embellish, twist the truth? Where are you living a double life? One thing in one place, one in another. Acknowledge areas where you are inconsistent with your actions and beliefs. And let me bring you back to the gospel. That through the power of God, through Jesus on the cross, disarming the power of sin. It's another thing Jesus did on the cross. He didn't just forgive our sin. He took the power that sin has over us. Disarming the power of sin as we trust him. Through that through him, I have the ability now. You have the ability to overcome the duplicity in your life. In you, in Christ, is the ability to be a person full of integrity. In you, in Jesus, you don't have the strength on your own, but through Christ who strengthens you and has placed the fullness of God in you, you have in you the power to pull those pieces back together. In a culture that lacks integrity, people of God are being made whole, and we're called to examine ourselves and to walk in full integrity. Would you bow your heads today? Uh, if you're, uh, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for somebody. I want to be specific in our prayer. I want somebody to have boldness or us to have boldness and just acknowledge maybe this is an area that we need a little extra work. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Just keep that hand up. Say, Lord, speaking to me, I feel, you know, maybe right now you just got something burning inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit. I just want to pray for you specifically. Father, you see these hands. Lord, we acknowledge the duplicity. We acknowledge the lack of integrity. And we desire integrity. We want our behavior to match our beliefs. We want our actions in one place to be the same as another. So Holy Spirit of God, come in us as only you can and do that deep work. We submit those areas to you. We confess them. We bring them before you. And we ask for your power to overcome them. You see each hand. You know each circumstance. You know the fractured brokenness there. You know the duplicity you know, maybe, it, maybe it's small, maybe it's large, God, but you know, work in that person in that situation in Jesus' name. And for all of us today, Lord, we ask, as people of God in a world that is increasingly moving further away from, from Judeo-Christian values, in a culture that 
shows counterfeit integrity. Help us to be people of integrity. Let that be an example, Lord. And I pray, God, that that, that label that is on the church, that the church is full of hypocrites, that we would not feed into that label, but we would be open and honest with who, who we are, our struggles, our imperfections. We'd recognize that those things we do not need to hide, but we can be open and honest about them and real about them. Lord, I pray that the church, this church, Parkway Church, would be an example, Lord, to our community, to our region, of people who walk virtuous. Not to, to set ourselves on a pedestal, God, not in a boastful way, in a humble way, because you are working in and through us in Jesus' name. We bless you, God. We love you. This is for your glory. And everybody said, amen. So let me bring it all the way back to this, and I'm going to send you off. Be like Ling in the story, who even though his circumstance, he thought, would lead him not to the benefit of what he had hoped, still chose integrity over falseness. God bless you. God fill you with the fullness of his presence. May he keep you and watch over you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church. 